0: Create, innovate, collaborate. How would it
1: feel if through the normal course of business, you knew that what you were consuming on a daily basis went to making a difference? Welcome to Beyond Ideas. I'm Brad Twine. I'm your host and virtual entrepreneur in residence. And today we go beyond supply chain and explore how to introduce ethical sourcing into our businesses and business lives. With me in the studio is the founder and CEO of Corporate Spend, and author of Supply Chain Operations, Managing Supply Chain Logistics and Supply Chain Services Sustainably, Justin Pagoda. Justin, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Brad. I'm so excited to be here and talk about supply chain.
1: (laughs) Justin, I knew a little about this issue before I met you a month or two ago, and and it certainly opened my eyes and, and had me see things differently in the time that I've spent with you. Is it fair to say that this topic of ethical sourcing is just not relevant to our business lives, but also our personal lives and something we should be educating our children
0: about? Oh, absolutely. So that you've got both, you've got two things, a social justice and environmental perspective, and, and they're both global problems. So let's start with the social justice element of supply chain. So it's estimated there are around 46 million known slaves. So that's the ones that we know about. And interesting, I was reading today, about 80% of them are actually in Southeast Asia, which is, you know, Australia's doorstep. Uh, Many of these are in the sex trafficking industry and the rest are in what's called bonded labour conditions. So that could be either unethical or exploitative work conditions, uh, sometimes involving children. And then from an environmental perspective, you know, we've only got one planet. So how do we reduce the impact from our supply chains and ensure that we've got a, a healthy sustainable planet to pass on to our children
1: so this is clearly a big issue and, and one that you are now focused on contributing greatly to both the environmental issue as well as the you know the the human trade issue uh, can you tell us a little bit about how your journey unfolded and, and how you came to focus on these issues because your background is actually one of, of finance I believe
0: correct correct I've been a product manager Uh, ran a few products in corporate world, uh, done some underwriting with insurance and superannuation and financial advice. But I've always been passionate about business, social justice and the environment, actually. So in my business life, I I guess I never saw business as just making a profit. It's how do we make a difference in people's lives? And that's sort of the ethos of the key DNA, I guess, of what's in me. And I guess as I've just progressed over the years, uh, I've gone down that path and ended up where I am today. So in the past, I ran Clean Up Australia Day at Coogee in Sydney's eastern suburbs. And what we also did was put on a festival to educate and empower people to build community and also look after the environment. And in terms of charity work, a lot of the organisations I supported or were connected with had a strong focus on ending human trafficking. And this sense that both sex trafficking and bonded labour are inherently wrong. Um, I've just still stays with me today and that's my strong conviction. And so we've got a choice then. So what what do we do with that conviction? And for me, I didn't want to just sit around and talk about the problem, but wanted to be a, an active part of the solution. And I guess the other, the other part was some of the charities I was associated with struggled with fundraising. They were really good at making a difference, but they didn't really have a fundraising skill set and you, you can't blame them there. And then I learned that there were about 74,000 charities in Australia and they're competing for less than 1% of Australia's GDP. And so that's why fundraising is getting harder and harder and I think the model has to change. Uh, it's just There's just not enough money to go around for all those 74,000 charities.
1: Have you always had that? deep social conscience or is it was there a moment in time that the light bulb went on for you
0: oh I think it's always been there like even my name like I just reflect on my name Justin you know it's it comes from its <laughs> foundation of like I'm serious like I came to that aha moment about 10 years ago that you know I don't know what my parents are thinking but maybe they just uh, tapped into something but uh, I guess there's things that are wrong in the world and For me, that just really brings out uh, something about we can't afford to just be passive and let it happen. And so I guess hearing about the sex trafficking but also, you know, some of my friends uh, who are doing the work overseas and in Australia, you know, they talk about the lives that these people have lived and have personally had contact with them, and it's horrendous. You know, I can't imagine uh, what it's like to be sex trafficked Uh, as a woman it'd be horrendous and then you know to be in multi-generational slavery which a lot of people in uh, say India are through bonded labour you've got many generations who are born into uh, bonded labour and it's it's just something that we need to fight against and also I think bring market solutions that that's probably been the key change in me how do we bring uh, market solutions to the problem.
1: Yeah, and and look, I mean, I I don't want to spend some time talking with you about that shortly. Before we do that, though... Just want to quickly delve into your book a little bit. You've written a book called Supply Chain Operations, Managing Supply Chain Logistics and Supply Chain Services Sustainability. Now, our listeners probably caught up on the little little joke at the beginning. You know, when when people mention supply chain, most people fall asleep really fast. But (laughs) you you have um, managed to open my eyes about how That supply chain that is inherent in every business is a key to unlocking a tremendous amount of value, not just within my business, but for the greater community that I can serve uh, as part of redefining my business in a conscious way. Can you just tell us a little bit about what a sustainable supply chain is?
0: Yeah, and one uh, I get the whole thing about uh, eyes glazing over about supply chain, and there's probably a couple of reasons for that. Number one is that a lot of the words are used, um, there's different words used to mean the same thing. So you've got sustainability, you've got triple bottom line, you've got corporate social responsibility. What, what does it actually mean? And so I try and keep it really simple and say that sustainability uh, I separate it into the two things, into environmental and employment practices. So environmental sustainability in your supply chain, it's about reducing the impact of your production process on the environment, and this involves constant improvement to reduce your carbon footprint, minimise waste, and to also make your supply chain more efficient. And so it's really interesting. In my book, I did a case study on Nike, and in the past, Nike uh, was criticised by some people for some of their practices in this area, but I was really encouraged. I went and read their sustainability report and went through it. And they're they're really going ahead in leaps and bounds in this area in reducing water uh, use in their business, reducing waste, and also looking at how they can actually use um, their materials more effectively and more um, in recycling as well. The second one is from the employment practice standpoint. So how do you eliminate unethical labour conditions and child labour from your supply chain? Uh, And where it gets complex, and this is part of why supply chain needs to be challenged and we need to bring transparency to this area, is that large organisations have multiple tiers and they lose transparency about what's going on. So let's say, for example, a large company in Australia, any of the top 20 or 50, um, they outsource their supply chain to various tiers and once you go past tier one or two they don't really know what's going on in a lot of cases with their supply chain and it's that lack of transparency that allows unethical factory conditions and children to be involved in the supply chain and so we need to make supply chains transparency so those things can't happen and I'll talk more about that uh, later on the modern slavery act that's coming in in Australia.
1: Your book poses the theory that brand value increases through ethical sourcing and environmental sustainability. A few weeks back on the show, we had Carolyn Butler-Madden who said the same thing but with a focus on cause marketing. We also had Glenn Campbell who again said the same thing in relationship to conscious leadership. Your book has some amazing research behind it. Can you go into some of the evidence for for this theory?
0: Sure, and I I think at its simplest, I think a lot of business owners uh, and CEOs and they th- actually think that doing good and profitability are mutually exclusive. So I'll just say that again because uh, I want to really highlight it. A lot of business owners and CEOs think that doing good and looking at the environment and profitability are mutually exclusive. So, oh, yeah, that'd be a nice thing to do, but we've got to focus on building shareholder returns as the key driver of our business. That's what we're called to do under the Corporations Act. But the reality is, is when you bring both social and environmental good into your business, it actually increases profitability. But firstly, before we get to some of those stats, even from a risk perspective, if you're not looking at your supply chain and what's going on there, You could have a a public relations disaster on your hand and also uh, really just strongly destroy your brand. So here's a couple of quotes from my book. One's from uh, Andrew Twiggy Forrest from Fortescue Metals who's doing some great work in this area through his Walk Free Foundation. He said, the risk of slavery in supply chains is not just a profound moral issue, it's a threat to long-term performance of international business. So I... 100% 100% agree there. So, it's it's actually a real threat to businesses' brands, their shareholder returns, and so forth. The second one comes from the heater, Rashid from uh, Herms Equity. She says, supply chain mismanagement can cause serious damage to profitability, shareholder and fund value and reputation both in the short and long term. So, I'll give you a good example of this. So, uh, probably the most publicised one is the Rana Plaza collapse in Bangladesh. So, April 24, 2013. So, 1,134 people were killed and 2,500 were injured when a commercial building in Rana Plaza, Bangladesh collapsed. Now, if you dig deep into this story, like even let's just have a look at the number of lives that were lost. Imagine if that happened in Australia. So 1,134 people killed because a building collapsed in Australia. There'd be an outrage, wouldn't there? It's just... Oh, there certainly would. Yeah. Unacceptable, unacceptable. So you dig deeper into the story and the factory workers actually knew that the building was unsafe, but they were forced by violence to enter. That's another story as well. So the, the people at the... Factory actually forced the workers to go in there, even though they didn't want to go in there because they knew it was unsafe. And then 45 minutes later, the factory collapsed. Now, from uh, PR and branding, this disaster got worldwide attention when the news reports revealed that many international retailers were using Rana Plaza to produce their clothing. These are big brands, you know, massive global brands. And this raised significant issues that these re, uh, retailers were profiting from unsafe work conditions in their supply chain. So their brand you know, overnight had a massive hit and also their, uh, their share price as well. So that's the first thing. Uh, looking after your supply chain is first and foremost a risk management strategy that you can't afford to ignore. Okay, the second research, which is the positive impact on profitability, um, I guess goes to destroy this perception that uh, triple bottom line principles or corporate social responsibility reduce the company's profits. And I, can, I think it's outdated because it ignores significant trends that's happening in today's market. And many customers and employees. Uh, now expect companies to address their social and environmental impact. And you think about millennials, it's already in their DNA and there's been some fascinating studies for millennials, uh, which I'll go into in a minute, but it's already in their DNA. So I think it's only going to accelerate. We might be at the start of uh, the move towards conscious business, but I think it's going to accelerate. But, you know, we have a look at uh, the study from Raj Sodia founder of Conscious Capitalism, which we're both members of, Um, he undertook a study of US publicly listed companies that were loved by customers, employees and communities. And these businesses were also demonstrating a strong commitment to caring for the environment. And Raj and his team called these companies firms of endearment. So then they had a look at the financial performance measured by cumulative share market returns over a 5, 10 and 15 year period. So over a five-year period, these 28 publicly listed US firms of endearment outperformed the general market index by two and a half times. That's pretty significant. But have a look over the long-term results. The long-term is where, uh, as a social environmental business, if you embed that in the heart of your DNA, it's you need to be in it for the long-term. So over 10 years, they outperformed the S&P 500 by nearly four times and 14 times over 15 years. That's just, should totally debunk, uh, debunk this myth that shareholder returns and CSR are mutually exclusive. And they also outperform Jim Collins' good to great companies.
1: They are amazing stats, Justin. I love the section in the book that does talk about the triple bottom line and, and you've mentioned it a number of times now. For our audience who aren't familiar with this term, can you just explain a little bit more about what you mean by the triple bottom line?
0: Yeah, and I'll do that. But before I do that, might if I can also just give a couple of other studies that talk about the impact um, on sustainability. So you've got October fifteenth, AC Nielsen Consumer Goods Surveys: Brands that demonstrate commitment to sustainability outperform those who don't by four percent versus one percent. So four times. This is a global figure. Four times uh, higher outperformance. Uh, That same study said 66% of people are willing to pay more for sustainable goods, so they're pricing in value for sustainability. Uh, There was also a Cone study, uh, Cone CSR study findings in 2013 and they updated it this year as well, that basically said when companies support social or environmental issues, consumer affinity upsurges by a huge amount. So when you embed these into your business, social, environmental things, in this study it said 96% of global citizens will have a more positive image, 94% will be more likely to trust that company, and 93% will be more loyal. So these are all the things we want as business owners, aren't they? More trust and more loyalty and more positive image. So it really does make a difference and add to shareholder return. But in terms of triple bottom line, I'll explain that. So triple bottom line uh, simply means not being just shareholder driven. So shareholder driven means that your sole focus is to maximise profit and maximise earnings per share and so that your share price goes up to its greatest degree. What triple bottom line principles say is that why don't you add environmental and social value to the focus of a company? So Shareholder return was very big in the 1990s, so there was a big push for aggregation. Uh, How do we actually become more efficient? How do we scale up? And value for money was primarily related to cost. In the 2000s, this is where we started to see the focus on environmental value, which is uh, how do we reduce our carbon footprint? Uh, Recycling became very popular Uh, and then also moving forward we started to see how do you actually become carbon neutral certified carbon neutral as well so you're you're not just reducing your carbon footprint but you're actually offsetting it Uh, and there's some great schemes you can do that and then the third one which started to play out in uh, I guess the decade uh, from 2010 onwards the one we're in now is a focus on social value so what can your business do to make a positive impact in the community. So you've seen uh, brands like Tom's Shoes, that's a, a really good example of it. You buy one of their shoes, they give one away uh, to children overseas in poverty. And I think both the environmental and social value, there's going to be more and more emphasis placed.
1: So Corporate Spend, the company you founded, tell us about how you came across that problem that you felt really needed to be solved. And I sure. guess based on that description of the triple bottom line you just mentioned, how corporate spend is really all about focusing on this triple bottom line.
0: Well, what we want to do first and foremost is to encourage businesses to take a step. But how I, I sort of started moving down this journey, I went on a, a trip to South Africa with Creel Price, who's a, as an Aussie entrepreneur who uh, exited his business Uh, and then wanted to give back. So we did a couple of uh, really cool things. One of them was Start Club Kidpreneur, which is an incubator for 8- to 12-year-old to start and run their own business, and that program's gone from strength to strength, and I'm one of the mentors uh, on that program and love it. Uh, But Creel took 12 Australians, of which I was one, uh, to met, be part of mentoring 12 graduates from the Branson Center of entrepreneurship so he wrote one of the chapters uh, for Richard Branson for what he's doing there in in the center in joburg and then we all went away to this game park just just north of joburg for a boot camp and it was really life-changing and while I was there I reflected on the fact that 10 years earlier before I had kids I um, I used to give away my mortgage referral income to a friend of mine who was doing orphanage and and, uh, justice work in Asia. So the idea was pretty simple. People can go to CBA to get a loan, and when they do so, CBA keeps all the profit, um, or they can come through our channel and an ongoing income stream is generated for charity. So you get the same CBA loan but with an income stream that lasts. And I did a few loans for my friend and continue to give him that money you know, 10 years later. But while I was in South Africa, I had this thought, well, why can't we do this in the business space? So business owners, corporations, schools, they have to buy things to run their businesses and enterprises, both in boom and also in recessions and everywhere in between. So the idea just started, what if we could connect business owners, schools and corporations to high quality ethical suppliers that share a percentage of their revenue for charity And I scribbled down the idea on the way on the plane back from South Africa and Corporate Spend was born.
1: That's a cool story, Justin. You mentioned an organisation at the very beginning, though. I just want to make sure our listeners catch that. What was the name of the organisation that was the incubator for 10- to 12-year-olds?
0: Club Kidpreneur. So Club Kidpreneur is the program, and I strongly recommend uh, from a couple of points of view, if you've got kids – Get your kids involved. You know, it's run through primary schools. So for me, I've done it both in holiday uh, settings but also through the schools that my kids have been involved with and it's a 10-week program, normally done in in Term 3 and you'll learn how to start and run your own business and the money that you raise, uh, the kids actually give it to charity. So it's putting in social entrepreneurship from the start. So if you go to Club Kidpreneur, if you Google that, um, you can find out the details.
1: What a great initiative and, and I, the first time I've ever heard of it and the reason I, I wanted to bring it to everyone's attention is a lot of our listeners are, are very big on this whole future of education and providing our kids the opportunity to develop their entrepreneurial side from a very early age. So a little gem that was unexpected. So thanks for sharing that. So great. you're sitting on a plane from South Africa. You scribble down some ideas. That forms, I guess, the start of this business called corporate spend. Naturally, the business models evolved to where it is today. Can can you just quickly give us an overview on how corporate spend works and the type of categories that you focused on?
0: Sure, sure. So, it's really simple. So, we connect schools and businesses to high-quality ethical suppliers who have been vetted for price, service, quality and delivery. So, that's the normal thing. But then we also take them through an ethical screen. So they can either be B Corps, uh, so businesses who have actually gone through that B Corp licensing. For those people who don't know what that is, it's I guess you could say it's fair trade for business where you actually have to go through a 200-point a cheque and then you receive the B Corp accreditation that you're an ethical business. So we take their accreditation because it's, it's stringent. For those who haven't been through that, we have taken them through an online uh, platform via Green Biz Check, and we take them through a screen on their corporate governance, HR, uh, their workplace practices, and just to make sure that they uh, don't have any trafficking in their supply chain and they're they're environmentally sustainable as well. So we do that and then we go to our businesses and say, you've got to spend this money anyway. What if we could introduce you to these high-quality ethical suppliers who at the same time pay corporate spend because we're a social enterprise Uh and 80% of our profits go out to uh, charities to, and they share a percentage of that revenue with us that they would usually pay a salesperson, Google or Facebook, and then we use those funds to run our social enterprise and fund charity projects. And so in terms of what type of categories, uh, it's, there's a few categories, but I'd all, always encourage people to just start with small things. Okay, so start with your office and stationery products. So, three, we, we wholesale uh, a lot of different brands. And three of my favorites are Who Gives a Crap Toilet Paper? So, <laughs> great name. Everyone laughs when they hear it.
1: That's an awesome uh, name.
0: You know, they were, they were a startup and did crowdfunding. But basically, it works like this uh, when you buy their toilet paper, and you can get recycled, but you also can get bamboo toilet paper. Okay, so it's very environmentally sustainable, no bleaching uh, in the chlorine as well. Uh, 50% of their profits go to actually uh, sanitation projects so building toilets in the third world. Uh, The second group is Thank You Group. Obviously, they've been around for a while and been leaders in this space um, and a great social enterprise. So we distribute their water and hand wash for businesses. And then the third business, which people may not know about is a business called UB Stationery. So UB is a great brand. Uh, and it was started by a South African, but he now lives in Sydney, uh, serial entrepreneur called Lance Kalish. And they've got Usher in the US as one of their, their ambassadors. So they they run a, a massive skincare brand in, in the US and Lance was he just noticed two things. He noticed one that teaches we're giving away about $500 of their own money to buy stationery for the the poor kids and disadvantaged kids in their class. And the second thing you notice that stationery can be pretty dull and boring. You know, it's not very, doesn't have much life to it. So like a true entrepreneur that he is, he said, well, why don't we create colourful stationery that gives back? So their their model's pretty similar to Tom's. You buy one item, one's given away. So for every item, the stationery you buy, They give one away. So in the US, so it started in the US uh, four or five years ago, they've given away 20 million items of stationery. That's a lot, isn't it? That's huge. You know, in Australia, uh, it's only been going a year or so, but they've given away, oh, they touched over 20,000 families. So it's really, really simple. You can buy their brands. It's a lot more colourful, a lot more life to it. But the thing is you've got a story to tell, your customers. And this is what's really important is that you there's a value and a storytelling that builds your brand by putting these products into your business. Uh, then you also take what we do with the money we receive and we give some away to charity. So you can make your uh, supply chain very powerful. Um, apart from those three different brands, all the normal things you buy for your office, kitchen, uh, kitchenware, furniture, is also included workwear, so we stopped the Bisley range. So it's quite broad. So that's where I'd always encourage uh, businesses to start because they're, they're all buying them. The next thing you can do is actually reduce your carbon footprint by both energy reduction strategies, both for your business and home and also energy energy generation strategies. So both are important. You know, last July energy prices went up a lot, didn't they? With the coal uh, becoming more more uh, expensive.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of the most expensive costs now of running a business.
0: Correct. And so, what our, our credit supply does in this area, and one which I would encourage all business owners uh, and also uh, homeowners to take up, is a free energy audit uh, for those who want to lower their carbon footprint. I'll give you a, a greater deal. I'll. I'm getting solar panels on my house now. I just thought sort of, I'm going to bite the bullet and do it. And the payback period so short and with energy prices rising, you're actually turning your energy from an expense to an asset. So it's actually really smart as well. But I'll give you a good example. So one of our clients, uh, Saxon Wright of Pablo and Rusty's also makes great ethical coffee coffee. Um, he pays his uh, fair trade. He pays his suppliers uh, three times more than fair trade coffee. That's a really interesting point to produce boutique coffee, but they're a boutique coffee roaster and have a, a number of cafes in Sydney. And Saxon came to to us wanting to lower his carbon footprint in his, his roasting factory. So our energy consultants did an audit and then they ended up putting up. I think it was about fifty fifty two thousand dollars worth of. Uh, of solar panels. And the great thing about this is that the energy saved, because they're a pretty high user, they saved over $27,000 every year. This is before last July's price rise. So the payback period was actually less than two years. So Saxon actually got an ROI of more than 50%, would have been way more than 50% because of the price rises. And so the other thing is that they reduced their carbon emissions by 52.5 tonnes a a year, and we took that money and we rehabilitated a girl rescued from sex trafficking in India for a whole year. So that's a perfect example of triple bottom line uh, at its best. You get a shareholder return, you get an environmental uh, return with the 52.5 tonnes worth of uh, carbon taken out, and you also get a social good, which was the funding of a girl rehabilitated by sex trafficking. That's
1: a great case study, Justin, and I, I really do think it, it goes a long way to bringing together a lot of the different things you, you've spoken about this morning.
0: Yeah, and any any business can do it. Like you, Especially if you lease the equipment, you're actually cash flow positive from month one. So there's no excuse at all to not, if you're a business owner who's got the ability to use both energy reduction and energy generation strategies because they're two different things. People think, oh, it's just about solar. Solar is part of it. That's the energy generation portion. But the energy reduction, there's so much technology. Some of it's uh, been around since 1930, but it's actually getting applied in a different way uh, for those businesses that have high energy usage and you have spikes. You can get these voltage stabilisers that actually make the energy come through a lot more consistently, which re- reduces your power use significantly. So, you put both of those together, uh, lease the equipment and your cash flow positive from month one. So, it's actually a no-brainer for the people using a lot of energy. So, I'll give a, our energy audit to free pie. Um And as you actually grow, um, you can look into your own supply chain and start to focus on well, what are do you have supply codes in, of conduct in place? What risk is in in your supply chain? Uh, how do you actually eliminate human trafficking and unethical practices? And in that space, uh, we recommend Green Biz Check as a great platform because they've got an online platform. You put all your supply codes of conduct, conduct into the platform. It benchmarks them. also shows you hotspots of risk as well. It's just a really easy way to manage that. Wow,
1: that's really cool. So you're saying, Justin, that anyone can set up a sustainable supply chain regardless of their company size?
0: Correct. I think you just need to start. That's the main thing. You start and then all the businesses that I talk to and people who are moved forward in this area, there's a common denomination they just started. They just said they just had a strong conviction that they needed to start. So I would recommend that... Uh, you would start with office, stationary uh, products, workwear, you know, we can help you with that. Um, but also then start to go through your supply chain, start to look at your carbon footprint. If you want to get um, carbon neutral offset as well, go down the certification path, you might like to do that, but you've got to start somewhere. And the first place is just get start buying ethically produced uh, products that you need to buy, then we can help them with that.
1: That's really interesting. You know, it, it's sort of bringing something up that uh, I really want to share which, you know, I'm passionate about. I mean, 10 years ago I was in Vietnam on a business trip and I had a few hours to kill in between meetings and I was sitting in a cafe having a coffee and I noticed in the corner of a cafe a meeting taking place between a local man and a woman and a middle-aged businessman. Um, In about 15 minutes into them talking, a young boy was boarding into the cafe, probably would have been about six or seven, beautiful, young, happy kid as most Vietnamese kids are, and he sat with them. And then about 10 minutes after that, the boy left with the businessman and it didn't click with me until probably another 20 minutes after they left that what I had just seen unfold in front of me, Well, I'll never be 100% sure, uh, probably was actually a case that I just saw a transaction between a mother and father selling their seven-year-old boy for sex and, and it absolutely crushed mm-hmm. me when, yeah. when I made that realisation that this was just happening in broad daylight in front of me in a cafe and, and that image when I talk about it, it still haunts me to this day. How can working with corporate spend have me help those people?
0: Absolutely, and, and this is a reality. Like even one of those cases is one too many, but it's 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 endemic. It's endemic in Cambodia. It's endemic in India, Nepal, uh, Eastern Europe, uh, Australia. So it happens in Australia. Um, but in terms of how you can help, it's very simple. When do you buy from us, so when you buy your office, stationery products, uh, corporate gifts, your promotional products, if you need caps and t-shirts, uh, all those things, so uh, cloud phones, business insurance, um, when you buy from us, we can actually distribute our profits to those organisations. So we really like two organisations in this space, one's local, one's overseas. So the Freedom Hub is a organisation based in Waterloo, but they're also uh, setting up in Brisbane, run by an amazing lady called Sally Irwin, and they do two things. The first one is that they rehabilitate women in Australia who have been work or sex slaves. And as I said, yes, that's right, there are work and sex slaves in Australia, in Sydney, uh, in Canberra, in Melbourne, Perth, uh, and in country towns. So what they do, what Sally and her team do is they get them ready to re-enter the workforce, so they train them. And it's actually quite, there's a lot to it. You imagine being uh, in that process of that boy, it's not something which people can just forget about, um, you know, in a couple of weeks.
1: I could not imagine what it would be like to have my freedom and to have my innocence and to have... Such a big part of my life just taken away from me, like it would unimaginable, unimaginable.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, it's you can't can't put it to words. And the fact that um, unfortunately most of the perpetrators are Australians, Canadians, uh, US, and I think France and Germany. So the Western world is um, men, unfortunately, are some of the biggest perpetrators of in this space. Uh, the second thing that Sally and her team also do is they run a great cafe and function centre based in Waterloo for both co- uh, company events, catering and weddings, and it's just a great space. So you can actually find out about ethical supply chain, and Sally's been through a supply chain. Um, I think one of the, the coffee that she uses uh, comes from a guy who used to be a child soldier in Africa. So that is pretty big. You know, you can buy coffee that's got a redemptive uh, nature to it as well. Um, So you can go to her cafe, you can hire it for weddings, corporate events, so that when you're actually buying, it's back to that triple line. When you go to Sally's Cafe, you're not just buying a sandwich or a coffee or the catering or having a great wedding or a corporate event. You're actually changing literally people's lives through the work that she does. And that's the power of using business as a force for good. Our overseas partners, Homes of Hope, which I mentioned earlier, that's the, the people who take the girls as young as eight and give them a safe place to escape from the sex trade and then they educate them and give them a future filled with hope. So that would be my encouragement to business owners is that you can actually make a difference through what you spend every day of the week. So you take something that might be considered boring like stationery and office product and you turn it into something powerful that literally changes people's lives. And that's 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 my why. How do we actually get business to actually challenge uh, this problem of human trafficking and also doing good uh, for the environment as well?
1: When you first started talking about this, Justin, I did hear something and I pulled the brake on in my mind and went, well, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. And you mentioned business insurance yeah. and, you know, so what you're saying is that by purchasing something that essentially I need, like doesn't matter how big your business is, if you're in business, you'd be an absolute fool not to have business insurance. But you're saying that if I purchase that through corporate spend then I'm going to assist an NGO and I can choose that NGO, one of the ones that you just spoke about, which is an area I'm passionate about, which is this whole human trafficking area. I can actually make a difference in that area just by doing something I, I have to be doing anyway.
0: Absolutely. And that, that that's why we started the business. People have to have these products. So back to the statistics, um, there's so much. The charities are competing for 1% of Australia's GDP. You've got 99% of Australia's GDP, which is done for business. How do we tap into that 99%? Provide people with high-quality uh, ethical solutions with good price, good service, good uh, delivery, all those things that they expect, but at the same time make a massive difference in the world. That's and exciting. I can
1: choose which charity I donate that money to?
0: Yeah, out of those two two charities that we've got, you can absolutely choose either one of those if you like. If you're a bigger business and, uh, you know, you, you're spending in a few categories with us, then we'll also give you the opportunity to choose your own charity as well.
1: Wow. I mean, that's just awesome. Uh, sign me up. Uh, that would just make a huge (laughs) difference Um, I mean this is really awesome and I know a lot of entrepreneurs particularly millennials who this would really appeal to and it's such an easy way to make a difference but what about big business how is the concept being received from government departments and larger corporations
0: well there's a lot of change happening in this area when when I came back from South Africa it's just an idea Um, I didn't even know that there was a word for it, so ethical procurement, social procurement is another term. So social procurement is simply the buying of goods and services with a social good attached to it. Um, So in in those last few years, I have seen a lot of change in this area, but it's still very early days yet. So uh, in general, there's three categories. So number one is supporting Indigenous suppliers so in this country, how do we do that in our supply chains? Uh, the group who's involved in that supply nation uh, basically aggregate Indigenous suppliers and uh, provide a way for the large uh, end-of-town corporates and government to access those. They do a great job in that area. And uh, government contracts are starting to mandate that certain proportions of contracts have to go to Indigenous suppliers. So that's that's really good and that's really healthy and supply Nation do a good job. Uh, The second one is social enterprises, so businesses that have an inbuilt social environmental good and we fall into that category. Uh, UB falls into that category, thank you, uh, the thank you group, uh, and who gives a crap as well. So they're ones that have got an inbuilt social or environmental good in their business. So in that case, again, uh, governments and large corporates are looking at how they can uh, be involved there. So I was at a large corporate uh, last week and talking about you know when they're running events, how can they use some of our suppliers to put together the events? Um, so it is starting to get some traction. And then the third category is disability support enterprises. So these are brilliant businesses that provide employment opportunities for those with disabilities. I'll give you a good example. Uh, there's one on the northern North Shore of Sydney, and what they do is they will scan, uh, take records from the councils who have got a lot of their uh, records in, in paper storage in warehouses, and they slowly take all those records and scan them on and put it into electronic format. And all the people who work there are those with a disability. So really great business um, and disability support enterprises provide a lot of value dignity to those people who who have got some form of disability. But in terms of, I guess, just to highlight the huge potential, the last stat I read was that the sum total of all these three markets was around $1 billion a year. And most of that went to uh, what's called labour procurement, which is employing people from disadvantaged sectors, say Indigenous people in the supply chain, especially in mining. So the large miners employ a lot of Indigenous people in the supply chain as part of uh, their social procurement policies, which is great. But I looked up the size of the Australian economy, which is $1.7 a year, so it's not even uh, 0.05%. It's not even a drop in the ocean. It's such a small amount that's currently being allocated to uh, social and ethical procurement that there's plenty of room for all three categories
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's a long way to go in this space. I believe that the federal government should be making this an initiative that's compulsory in all sourcing activities. So if anyone from the state or federal government is listening to this, please get in touch with Justin because this can make such a huge difference in such a simplistic way.
0: It is happening, and I'll just end with this. uh, It is happening slowly. Uh, There are some mandated contracts, as I said, being put in place. The key thing is you've got to put it in your employment, in your procurement contracts. So you're actually putting a value on ethical and social procurement. If you don't actually put it in your procurement processes, it just won't happen. And the second thing is that it might actually become mandatory anyway, because uh, the Modern Slavery Act looks like it's going to get passed in the next 12 months. So there'll be a federal one in New South Wales and maybe some other states will follow suit, but it's following on from the California and UK models and it will make it compulsory for organisations above a certain revenue size to basically have transparency in their supply chains. So when that comes in, that will be a huge shift to large government departments and uh, corporates, because they'll be forced to comply with it.
1: Fantastic. What's next for corporate spend, Justin? What's your vision and, and where do you see corporate spend evolving to? Uh,
0: well, our, our main role is to help business owners to make a start. So we'd love to talk to schools, uh, SMEs, and also we, the larger end of town as well, about just making a start with ethical procurement. So we want to help people to actually say, okay, what is the goal? What do you actually want to achieve from putting this into your, your uh, supply chain. And then we will help you to make some small starts with ethical procurement through our supplies. But then there's also this whole other range of people. As it gets more complex, we can refer you to uh, people we know and trust and experts in the area. So we've got experts uh, Carbon Neutral, uh, the online platform through Green Biz Check. Uh, you also have the... Uh, Modern Slavery Act, which I mentioned uh, a little while ago, we've got a uh, consultant who is very um, skilled in helping you navigate through there. So I think the, the main thing is just for businesses to make a start. And if uh, putting in ethical procurement and environmental good into your business is something that resonates, I'd love to hear from you.
1: The time's gotten away with us. How can people get in touch with yourself and and find out more about corporate spend?
0: Well, the best way is to start on our website, which is corporatespend, or one word, so au. All the contact details are there, the case study that I mentioned with Saxon Wright and also our podcasts and other resources on ethical procurement blog are there as well. So that's a good place to start. You can also find me on LinkedIn as well.
1: Great. Well, Justin, look, thanks for dropping by. This is such an important topic and we'd love to have you back at some point and talk about how far this has gone, particularly when the Modern Slavery Act comes in. I think that would be a really interesting discussion to have.
0: Fascinating. I'd love to come back on the show. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks, Justin.